Hello, friends. If you've made it this far, that's pretty good. This is Amy Clarkson, and I'm reading today from my book, Simple, How Kids Help Us Understand God. And we've made it to chapter nine, nine weeks of this. And this one is a personal favorite, and it's on selfishness. And I think that's because I consider myself a pretty selfish person. No joking. It's a vice that I always am trying to do better on. So this chapter was fun to write and will always challenge me. So let's get started. Chapter 9, Selfishness. It's fascinating to me how innately selfish children are. You can observe this at very young ages. With my first child, I can recall watching her at just 18 months of age yanking toys out of other kids' hands. Of course, the toy theft was often reciprocated by other children as well. But the first time it happened publicly, I was mortified. By the time my third one came around, I was parent-wise and knew this was just part of normal toddler development. Now that my children are past the grab-and-hold stage, I find it amusing to watch a group of toddlers fight over a toy. If you don't have kids and have been horrified when you see this type of selfish behavior, have no fear. The behavior part of that extreme possessiveness does fade. The word uttered by children that perfectly communicates this self-centered stance on life is none other than mine. This word was certainly a part of some of those first 20 to 30 words each of my kids learned. As they have aged, they learn to socially not steal toys or scream, mine! But this hasn't dampened their natural selfishness or what they are saying on the inside. How do I know this? My children aren't ashamed to request the largest amount of dessert or keep track to the second on how much screen time the other sibling is allowed. They gift count at Christmas and lick count cake batter beaters. Their obsessiveness over fairness is nothing more than self-centeredness disguised as justice. When they say, that's not fair, they are saying, I deserve more. Witnessing my children's greed has taught me a lot about my selfishness, and ultimately, since we are discussing theological topics, how selfishness ties into sin. I would have to say that the most startling revelation as a parent is that maturing into adulthood doesn't magically eliminate self-centeredness. More likely, aging just teaches us how to mask it better. When there is one cookie left and two of my children hover to ensure I split it perfectly, still both complaining that the other got more, it's because we're in our own home. If we were at a friend's house, my children have learned socially not to be so dramatic and selfish. Does that change their innate desire to have the most? Absolutely not. I know this because back in the safety of our home, the complaining of fairness and who got more or less at the friend's house starts up again. 
But let's be honest here. Am I much different? How many times have I envied someone else's massive piece of chocolate silk pie, but swallowed down my discontent to hide my inner selfish nature? It's hard to admit, but I've even kept track of how many cookies my husband has after a meal to make sure I get to enjoy the same amount. When I take my kids out shopping and they beg to buy a toy and moan loudly when I tell them they don't need more toys, I can't be too hard on them. When I find myself inwardly craving something on another aisle, just because I don't have the money to buy everything I want doesn't mean I don't have the same response as my kids do to toys. I've just learned not to verbalize it. So what does this have to do with faith? Everything. First, let's understand what selfishness is. Merriam-Webster defines it as being concerned excessively or exclusively with oneself. In other words, placing yourself as priority number one. Emphasizing your needs and wants over others is the exact opposite of what Christianity preaches. In fact, it's the antithesis of the great commandment. Recall that in the book of Matthew, someone asks Christ which the greatest commandment in the law is. Verses 37 and 39 of Matthew chapter 2 in the NIV says this, in quote, Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself, end quote. Christ says, God should be priority one. Second is your neighbor, which leaves yourself at most as the third priority. In kids, it's easy to see when they put themselves excessively first, but it can be much trickier with adults. There are many good virtues that society finds acceptable, but are still selfish. Happiness is one example. A secular society would say this is something we should pursue wholeheartedly and sometimes even exclusively. Happiness is not a sin. However, could you see how the pursuit of happiness could become selfish and ultimately a sin? Let's go all the way back to the fall recorded in Genesis as the first sin and the choice that sets our future in motion as we know it. Eating the forbidden fruit is the quintessential decision that separated us from God. And if we examine it, we will find this first sin is that of selfishness. In Genesis chapter 3, the serpent uses his craftiness to entice Eve to sin by eating the forbidden fruit. He tells Eve in verse 5, and quote, For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. End quote. When Eve chose to eat the fruit, 
The sin wasn't just about breaking a rule. It was the decision of man to put himself on equal terms with God. Adam and Eve weren't just hungry. They had plenty of other food. They wanted to be gods. If you move through the Bible, at the heart of every sin, you will find selfishness. Let's just go to the very next sin recorded in Genesis chapter 4. Here is the story of two brothers, Cain and Abel, who bring an offering to God. Abel is unselfish and delivers the best portions to God. Cain is selfish and saves the best for himself. God was not pleased with Cain. And in a fit of selfish jealousy, Cain kills his brother. It is no wonder, then, why God is trying to rescue us from sin, if behind every sin is the decision to choose ourselves above either God or someone else, then it stands to reason that this selfishness turns us away from God. If we pick ourselves, we deny God. Still unsure? Let's check in with the Ten Commandments. The first four commandments are essentially saying God is to be number one, so be unselfish. No other gods, no graven images, no misusing his name, and keeping his day holy. The next six specifically speak of things relating to selfish behavior. Dishonoring parents, killing, adultery, stealing, lying, and coveting. The battle between self and God as boss of our actions and motivations is behind all sin. The New Testament is no different. You will find at the heart of everything the conflict of self versus Christ. In fact, Jesus says in three of the Gospels that being unselfish is how you become a disciple. Luke chapter 9 verse 23 says it this way in the New Living Translation. End quote. Then he said to the crowd, If any of you wants to be my follower... You must turn away from your selfish ways. Take up your cross daily and follow me. End quote. Why does the Bible harp on this? What harm does selfishness do? James chapter 3 verse 16 in the NIV says, end quote, For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. End quote. The Greek word in this verse for disorder is akatastasia, which literally means cannot stand. The definition includes instability, unsettled, tumult, and confusion. Selfishness leads to instability. It causes chaos and confusion. I can definitely say that my children's selfish outbursts have led to tumult and disorder. There's something else parenting has taught me. We come into this world selfish. In fact, the draw to selfishness is always present. Left to themselves without any correction or input from society, 
my children would consistently seek to please themselves first and others second. I've watched my children become publicly less selfish, but their self-seeking nature is still quite strong, just as mine is. What raising children has convinced me of is that Christ alone can bend our will towards unselfishness. Just setting up rules and having lectures about helping others and encouraging humility may change behavior, but not necessarily change character. Paul, the great biblical missionary, speaks quite eloquently about all of this in Romans. He calls selfishness being controlled by the flesh. He says it like this, in quote, We know that the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. I do not understand what I do, for what I want to do, I do not. But what I hate, I do, end quote. That's from Romans chapter 7, verses 14 and 15 in the NIV. Paul who of anyone knew right from wrong, says that he can't seem to do the right thing. His selfish side keeps winning out. I see this in my kids' lives every day, and unfortunately, at least inwardly in myself, just as often. I don't know about you, but I find this disheartening. The pull within me to place myself first is powerful. What then is the solution? the spirit. Paul addresses his dilemma in the description of selfishness and godliness in chapter 8 of Romans, verse 5, end quote. Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what their flesh desires, but those who live in accordance with the spirit have their minds set on what the spirit desires, end quote. The spirit he refers to is the Holy Spirit, which dwells within us. The Holy Spirit is a gift to those who believe. That comes from Acts chapter 2, verse 38. It is the job of the Holy Spirit to teach and help us. Refer to John 14, verse 26. Most importantly, the things that the Spirit desires would be unselfish things, or as Paul outlines in the book of Galatians, what we call the fruits of the Spirit. Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23 in the NIV says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Are not all those qualities a part of someone we would consider genuinely unselfish? Every time we put ourselves at the center, we displace God. Children don't grasp that concept yet, but we should. C.S. Lewis, one of my favorite authors, says in his book, The Problem of Pain, that choosing ourselves as the center in quote, is the fall in every individual life and in each day of each individual life the basic sin behind all particular sins. 
At this very moment, he continues, you and I are either committing it or about to commit it or repenting it, end quote. As we age, our natural selfishness doesn't necessarily dwindle away. We just learn to hide it in more socially acceptable ways. Perhaps then, as we watch and witness children's innate tendency towards selfishness, we should consider it a blessing. It can remind us to be aware of our inward thoughts and desires. I crave the day my selfish nature is truly dead. Though my guess is that won't be until my outward flesh is gone. Until then, I will ask daily, if not moment by moment, for the Holy Spirit to work in and refine me. That's it this week on selfishness. We've only got a few weeks left. And to combat this idea of selfishness and sin, next week we're going to talk about grace. So I hope you'll come back and listen then. Otherwise, have a great day.